Welcome back to the Men You're Not Alone podcast. This will be my third attempt at episode 92 because while it has been as quiet as a church mouse around my house all day, it is now 2.30 in the afternoon on a beautiful fall day. Every time I hit record, the dogs on the left and the right of me start barking. Perhaps there's something about my microphone that triggers them off, but anyway, it gets very frustrating because it completely throws off my train of thought because it does, my microphone does pick it up very well because my house is not entirely soundproof. So it's a pretty basic house. Um, as I've been working these vol- this volunteer event, it has given me some time to kind of reflect because it is the absence of stress does allow my mind to be creative again and sort of process things that have been parked in the background. And I do spend a lot of time thinking about the gynocentric nature of our culture here in the United States. And and, and that's a, a perhaps a little bit of a vulgar term. It's not my term. I, I hijacked that from somebody else because to me it does it does kind of fit where we are headed as a culture or what we've become as a culture. And I don't know how else you would do it except female-centered, maybe. But that just sounds so neutered. So gynocentric, it, it, it's sort of it's sort of an in-your-face term that describes the situation that so many men situations that so many men face that are a result of a female-focused culture that disregards men in large. My first one, just as I was kind of watching, I've been around. I don't even know how many people came to this event. I'm going to guess. Somewhere north of 10,000 people. Maybe it was 15,000. I don't know. But probably 10 would be a pretty safe bet. It was it was a very good turnout. And I, I just observe as I, I move around that it's... The, the, a gynocentric culture has netted the... That's the seed we planted or somebody planted back in the 60s. It has produced a crop of weak men and unhappy women. And here's the sad part is... That's not doing a service to men or women. And women right now, in large, are getting exactly what they've asked for. And then they still want to play the victims of it. And white knighting men still want to come, you know, riding in on their white horse and say that men are somehow to blame for this. But the reality is, in so many aspects of what women feel like they're oppressed with, they're getting the things that they ask for. They're getting the freedoms that they ask for. They're getting to live that life not needing men. And in that, it is it is breeding weak men because we have men being raised by single women to a large degree. And, and women honestly don't know how to build good men. They, they can try. They just can't do as good of a job as men. Men do sharpen each other and men teach other men how to be, especially young men, how to be. Um, I, I got in late last night and I do, I, I do teach on Sunday mornings. I teach uh, fifth and sixth graders. Um, it's a class that I am I am blessed to to have it. I'm blessed that it's growing. So it was uh, it was a small number of kids. It was chaotic when I took it over. And today, as I move through the weeks, it's it's really good because the kids are they're listening and they're deep thinkers and they're good they're good minds. And my goal is not to just as on this podcast, my goal is not to sell you Jesus. My goal is not to sell you the Bible. My goal is just to be myself and be transparent. And that's why I don't make a dime off of this. I don't promote it. I don't do anything, much to the chagrin of of a lot of people around me. But this has never been about me trying to build an empire. This is nothing. This is just something I put out there. And if God wants to move it somewhere, God has to move it somewhere. I'm not moving it somewhere. This is just me being obedient with something I was asked to do. And that's exactly what I'm doing. 
I don't want to make a dime off of it. I don't, I don't get validation from it. I don't need to see feedback. In fact, I don't see any feedback. I don't have a clue what goes on once it gets picked up by other podcast platforms. I can only see that it, it does get downloaded in uh, uh, quite a few places now around the world. And I just, I'm, I'm always baffled that such a well-kept secret would hop around the way it is. But that's that's for God to sort out. That's not for me. This is more of a something a hobby for for me, more of a passion, sort of like helping needy families. I don't want to do it for a living. I want to do it with nothing to gain from it except for the satisfaction of knowing that I invested in other people. So I came in late last night, and uh, today is Sunday. So I got in late last night, way after dark, and because it took us a long time to do the teardown on this this fundraiser. It took multiple hours to do the the teardown on it. And there's a ton of us that were helping. And so I went into my class this morning and late last night, I, I printed out my lesson because I haven't had time during the week to do it. And then I started helping with the festival and, and I, I just haven't sat still. So I haven't had time to. And I started pouring over the lesson and I, you know, I, I go through and highlight stuff like that. And fortunately, the, the church I work for, or I work for, the church I, the church I teach at I do get handed a pretty organized, uh, structured lesson, which is very helpful because I don't have time to throw these together every week. I could do it, but I just don't have the time, and I probably would not teach if I had to do it because it's just a shortage of time. I'm not taking away from my children or other things that are of value to me right now in my life that are more important. They're more on the critical list than this. So... Um, but I do look. I do spend quite a bit of time looking over that lesson. Typically, an hour to two hours going over the lesson, looking at it, making sure that everything is is good. That I'm, I'm I agree with with it. That is it is biblically sound. Um, that I could defend it if I needed to, and if I can't, I don't teach it because I have to answer for it. Well, if somebody gives it to me, I'm not accountable for that. If I teach it, I'm I'm accountable for that. And so I try to take it seriously and do the very best that I can with it. And this morning I was I woke up I went to bed real early you know early last night um, I was in bed by ten o'clock and I got to sleep until about seven or seven thirty this morning and it felt awesome because I have not slept in in a while and so I got a good night's sleep and while I was laying in bed when I woke up I was praying for God to help me with the lesson because I really wasn't prepared I mean I understood the content I'd gone through it I'd highlighted it made notes uh, read through the different passages that we were teaching on. But it was so much material, and I was—I knew I was going to be really tired, and it's a good kind of tired from doing good things, and I, I'm fine with that. It's not an emotional fatigue or anything like that. It's just from genuinely pouring myself out the most I could to help the greatest number of people that I could, and that is fulfilling for me. That That is definitely adding to a sense of purpose in my life, and it helps me to sleep better in the evenings. But as I picked up the lesson and was headed out the door to, to teach, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to teach the Bible passages. I'm not going to teach all the filler material. Because I have noticed in my fifth and sixth grade boys that when I start talking about the Bible and I just teach the Bible and I teach them to let it say what it says, not what I say it is, not what they think it is, not what I feel it is, and let it say what it says, they're very drawn into it. And that is the way Jesus was. He he didn't say a lot, I don't believe, at least not. A, I don't get the indication that he said a whole lot. I mean, he did, he did speak and stuff, but it wasn't 
just on and on and on. But he was direct and simple, and he loved people. And he was continually reaching to people that were in the shadows and the people that, that nobody else wanted to touch. And he had a, a genuine love, an unconditional love for people that were viewed by many as the dregs of the culture, of the world. So I went in this morning, and and all I did was teach the Bible passages. And I don't, I had more, kept, boys kept trickling into my class. I don't know how many I had. I don't think it was twenty this morning, which is weird because it's actually a break at, in the school where most in the school system where most of these kids go to school. So there's quite a few of them out of town as well. It was a real small crowd at our church this morning because it is a week long break for kids here at this point, and so many many families were gone. But I was really surprised at the turnout in my class, and I, I keep seeing kids I haven't met before. So they're either kids that somebody's bringing in as a friend, or it's a new family that's moved to the area. And all I did was teach the Bible this morning, and I, I went through the, the passages that I was supposed to uh, teach, and I just get handed a few verses to teach. And I've never liked extracting one little tiny thought out of a message or out of a a lesson any more than I would a constitutional document or a legal document or something like that. I want to see the full context of something or a contract. I want to read the full scope of the the item that I'm considering. I don't want just a soundbite because soundbites can be something that are very deceptive and out of context. And I don't want to pass that on to children especially, but to anybody, you know, in particular. And I did that and to uh, not to my surprise, the boys were very attentive. You know, I mean, they're young boys, so they they have their moments where they get a little rowdy or they get completely derailed on something. But uh, I was able to draw them back in and and uh, with the help of my assistant. And when I as I talk about the Bible and I, I have them read it and I have them explain it to me and I have them the I have them exp, I have them tell me what it says. I've done this for years with people, and this is something that in American culture, at least the U.S. We are often, when I, I like to do this as a social experiment. I've done it for years, and I will have somebody read a Bible passage, and I'll ask them, what it, you know, what, is it, what does it say? And they will start out with, well, what I think, and, I, and I have to, I'll just stop them and say, no, what does it state? What does it say? What does it state? Well, I think, and I'm like, no, it's amazing the conditioning that you have to undo to let something speak and say what it says. And I usually have to repeat it several times, which I did with the boys this morning. And everybody wanted to tell me what they felt like it said or what they think it says. That is the the default in how they have been taught. And I don't know where the fruit of, I don't know where that has come from, except for the fact that we no longer value biblical teaching in churches in general. Some do, but a lot of them don't. So we have been derelict in that. And so when I let, I, I tell them like, no, don't guess. Don't tell me what you feel like it says. Don't tell me what you think it says. Please read it again. It may, and a lot of times it's just one sentence. And they'll read it because what they think it says is something entirely different. Or they even change the wording. And I've noticed this. I'm not picking on my boys in my class this morning. I have noticed this in general with men. I do it a lot with men when I'm when I'm meeting with them and and asking them about certain things or just having a casual conversation even with friends. But even with children, I do it with my own kids and I'll ask them, "Well, what does this say?" And they're like, "Well," and they'll change the words of it. And I'm like, "No, that's not what it states." So, what does it state? 
And they'll read it again, and they're like, well, and then they'll misrepresent a couple of other words. And I'm like, no, you're changing the wording. So what does it state? I want you to read it out loud and tell me what it states. And when they do, it's like an aha moment for them. And they realize the power of perception and conditioning. And it's only because I noticed it in my own life. And I really have worked hard to undo that in my life and to let the Bible say what it says. And honestly, it's like going back to being a child almost. And, you know, if if you tell a kid, hey, look, we're going to go to the park. They don't have to tell you, well, I think what they meant is, no, you ask a four-year-old, if I tell you, hey, let's go to the park and you're four years old, say, all right, what did I just say? We're going to go to the park. Okay, it, They're very literal. They do listen and and we don't. So all I did was teach the Bible. And the reason I'm mentioning this is if you teach in a church or if you teach in a community, um, if you teach something that may have nothing to do with a church, it may not be affiliated with a church, it may be something, maybe you teach the Bible in your community or in a house church network or other places, double down on on letting the Bible say what it says. And that's not me bossing you around. I it's It's amazing to watch how people are drawn into the Bible when we stop filtering it and protecting people from it. And so if you are teaching in a church, chances are you get handed material. Chances are the material sucks. Because that's most church material is, especially for kids, it sucks. And if I had the energy, and I, I might try to tackle some content for kids. I've started it. I've got a kind of a, a volume put together on my hard drive of lessons for like elementary and middle school or junior high kids. You know, kids maybe fourth grade to eighth grade of things that I think are very interesting in the Bible based on what I've I've discovered in sharing those things with children and letting them discover them in the Bible for themselves. And again, letting the Bible say what it says because it, it draws people unto it, just like Jesus drew people unto himself, not because he was a flashy speaker, but because he was authentic and genuine, and plus he was God. So I, I've also, that's just a different subject, but also um, on another quick Note too, I do believe that God does have, this is an episode I did, I don't remember how many back, only a few back from this one, um, a handful back from this one before it, about how God has, I believe that God has the arm of many men up behind their back right now, telling them, get back up on the wall, put your big girl panties on, embrace yourself to guard this culture, guard the people around you, guard your church, guard your kids. And and as I watch more, I'm learning of more people around me and people, well, I would say people in my circle. They're not necessarily around me. They're in my, my circle. People I know, and they're from different places in the United States. But I am watching them getting kind of doubled down on pressure. And I'm not, you know, they'll call and ask for me to pray for them and stuff. And I'll tell them I'm not going to pray for it to go away. I'm going to pray for you to understand why it's being doubled down. And for you to get your butt moving in the direction that it takes to make the pressure go away. Because I don't see it as a negative pressure. I think it's God trying to get the attention of men who have sort of sidelined God and stepped away and have left the thinking to other men. Uh, They may be pillaging other men's material. They're not being diligent. They're They're not doing what they are capable of doing. And in fact, looking for the lazy way out. And then another thing that I has crossed my mind while I was doing this volunteer event is that as 
Christian churches in the United States are largely losing, I want to say losing market share. I don't know if that's if that's the right term or not, but it is of declining influence, at least, or at least my understanding is that it's of declining influence. It, it typically has been and has been holding that trend for a while, for many years. If you are a church leader, I'll just throw this at you because I am tired. I'll throw this at you and and you can, I'll just put it this way. We can keep doing the same stuff we've been doing and continue declining. We can stick with the programs, the routines, the songs, uh, the gynocentric focus of our teaching, our music, our programs in the church, our focus from the pulpit. We can keep doing that. Um, the routine of rituals also. We can keep sticking with that. And we can keep saying that at some point it's just going to turn around magically. Or we could be like Jesus and maybe just learn to genuinely love people, genuinely speak with them, genuinely listen. And and I think that we need to be spending more time in the Bible. I The biblical literacy has plummeted. It is spooky to me. And and when I teach these kids, I realize how thirsty they are because they're not getting it. And the Bible, it drew me in at 11. Nobody pushed it on me. Nobody did anything. I cracked the book open, the Bible open. My face has been in that book for 42 years now. And I'm not an expert at any of it. But the content, it never ceases to outthink me to present new angles to stuff. It is so immediately relevant every time I open it that when the Bible claims that the Bible is the living and active Word of God, sharper than any sword, and it's able to pierce deeply into our souls, I believe it because I've lived it. I've seen it. I see it maybe not every day, but pretty close to it. And I would say consistently when I sit down to read the Bible, it's like I've never read that before. It's like something new, and it's a different dimension of something I had not entertained yet. It's it's not the Bible evolving. It's it's me maturing. I hope, and my ability to think critically. My and maybe it's me speaking less and listening more, observing more the life around me and engaging the life around me more. Though I've tended to engage my life pretty intensely for most of my life, but. I, maybe engaging it with intention, um, with the goal of genuinely helping people. I don't have to be right. I don't have to have the answers, nothing. I want their life to be better for having met me. And maybe that's the shift that has really opened my eyes again to the Bible, even though it just keep, my eyes keep getting open to it. Jesus destroyed mindless routines. It's what pissed off all the uh, the Sanhedrin to a, law, a, a large part. Jesus just kind of rode right over the top of tradition, ritual, and rules. And I'm not saying that rules are inappropriate because there needs to be guardrails in a culture. But they had become obsessed with the rules as if rules lead to some kind of salvation. And that, from the Christian perspective, that would be trying to earn your way into God's favor, which you can't do. You can't. It's a gift to you from Jesus. All you have to do is accept it. And then it's welcome to the hard road because it's not easy to follow Jesus. And anybody who tells you it is, is lying to you or they're selling you something. 
But either way, it's deceptive. It is not easy to follow Jesus. It is going against the grain, just as Jesus was. And and a lot of people who followed him in the beginning, they were all murdered. And it did that trend hasn't really changed a whole lot in places around the world since he was killed and resurrected. Those are just a couple of thoughts that I've had. And if you are in um, in a church that just keeps kind of doing the same old thing, and you watch the depth of the like the church may be growing in numbers and it's getting wide, you know, like wide, but still saying, still saying, uh, staying shallow. You know, if it's a half a mile wide and a half inch deep, that's not going to impact a culture. That's all it's going to do is enable a culture to think that it's following Christ when in fact it it's really more of a social gathering than it is a life changing gathering, and it's certainly not what Jesus uh, referred to as the church. So it's I guess it's up to you. If you are teaching, why not just teach the Bible? And if you don't know the Bible, learn the Bible. I mean, maybe jump into some some college level courses or graduate level courses. Go to a Bible college, go to a seminary, go to something where what you believe can be challenged. Uh where you're going to have to defend what you believe. You're going to have to understand, and that's not a dangerous thing. That's a great thing. Um, the reason that I know changing the back spark plug on my Toyota is a knuckle buster is because every time I've done it, it breaks my knuckles trying to get that spark plug out, that coil pack. Um, it's a nightmare. It is a knuckle busting spark plug. The reason I know is because I've done it and I've not changed it yet without splitting my knuckles, at least one or two of them trying to get that stupid plug out. And the same is true with our Bible that if we don't go and learn it, how are we going to teach it? And if we don't teach it, we might as well just just pull the, the sign down from the door. Because what are we, if we're not teaching the Bible, what are we teaching? How to be entertained? I mean, how to sing songs, you know, in minor keys over and over, more like a, what do they call it? A chant? You know, like a monk does? Or maybe monks don't do that anymore, but they used to chant. But this isn't going to draw people in. Being real and being like Jesus is going to draw people in. But Jesus understood the scripture that was existent at the time, the Old Testament. And he helped people to make sense of it. And he did it in very simple language. There was no academic snobbery about him. He didn't. It's kind of a funny thing to think of. But but he didn't need it. He spoke very simply. And he didn't have a program. He didn't have... He didn't have any worship music. He didn't have eight instruments banging away up on the stage. He didn't have a fancy lighting package. He didn't have a nice air-conditioned building. He had nothing. He had shoes for his feet, um, some clothes on, and a lot of places to go to. And that was it. He was working with 1% of what we have every week, and people were flocking to him by the thousands. We have everything, at least here. In the United States, and we can't even seem to be relevant to ourselves half the time. So my question is, do we keep doing the same old stuff, or do we finally get serious about no longer protecting people from the Bible and letting it draw people in? And then that's going to force us to study the Bible. And I don't know what, what you need to do, possibly, in your neck of the woods. I have no idea. I don't know what the solution is. But that's where a godly man or woman can go ask God, what do I need to do? Because I don't have your answer. God does. I don't. 
Or maybe you already have your answer and you know what it is. But it's time that the churches start asking God, what do we do to genuinely reach people and make deep people? We have enough shallow people. We have enough people. We just need depth. And without depth, we're not going to draw anybody to Jesus. We're only going to draw them to ourselves and our shiny objects and our nice music and nice lights and air-conditioned and comfortable seats and nice programs and all this stuff that, while it looks cool on the surface, it's not going to ultimately make people deeper. It's not going to radically change their lives. And it's like Jesus light. And that's, I mean, like... I don't know what, like light beer, like, I don't know, light mayonnaise. I don't know what, whatever light would be. All right. Well, that's just a few thoughts I had and I figured I'd ramble them out. So I'll conclude it here and that will wrap up episode 92 and I'll catch you on the next one.